0: So, today's passage is from Acts 12, verses 1 to 24. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying, Jesus knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarrelling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of a god, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish.
1: G'day again, everyone. My name is Scott. Um, Good to be with you this morning. Uh, I've left something over here. Here we go. Thank you. Have you ever heard of a guy called Blind Cheng? Uh, Cheng Shen was a Chinese man. And in his village, he was known for being an alcoholic, a thief, a gambler, a gang member, and even someone who was cruel to his own family members. And so during his life, his eyesight grew dull until the point that he was really blind, hence the name Blind Cheng. But the local villagers he lived with saw it as the curse of the gods on him for being who he was. Anyhow... Blind Cheng hears of uh, Christians who set up a missionary hospital uh, a a long way away. But at that hospital, people are going there and they're recovering their sight. And so Blind Cheng thinks, this is for me. And he travels hundreds of kilometers uh, across the countryside to get to this missionary hospital. And he gets there and it's full. There's no more room, they tell him. And so he's about to go back home, dejected, until one of the missionary doctors says, you can have my bed for the night. And so he stays there. The doctors help him recover a a, a small amount of his sight. But while he's there, he also hears about Jesus. And he gets very excited, this man, Blind Cheng. He decides he wants to follow Jesus. And so he asks one of the missionaries there to baptize him. The missionary, however, is a little bit wary. He's concerned that Blind Cheng is only excited about this because he's received his sight, not because he really wants to follow Jesus. So he tells Blind Cheng, Go home. Tell your neighbours that you've changed and why you've changed. I will visit you later. And if you are still following Jesus, then I will baptise you. So off goes Blind Cheng. And five months later, the missionary visits Blind Cheng's village. And he's met as he walks into the village with hundreds of people with all sorts of questions about Jesus. Because Blind Cheng has been telling everyone about the Lord Jesus. And the missionary at this point realizes Blind Cheng really has been converted, so he baptizes him and others in the village as well. And over time, Blind Cheng actually lost his all his eyesight again. A local doctor tried to help him restore some of it back, but again that didn't work, and so things got worse. Um, but despite his blindness coming back, Blind Cheng's faith wasn't hindered. And despite his blindness, he travelled all over the area, from village to village he'd go, telling people about Jesus. And many people became followers of Jesus because of Blind Chang, a, a, a great local Christian missionary in China. Then the Boxer Rebellion broke out. And if you're anything like me, you don't know a whole lot about the Boxer Rebellion, so I had to do a little bit of research. But I found out the Boxers were Chinese, groups of Chinese people who were fiercely anti-foreign. They, they hated the incursions of the foreigners who would set up in their land. And because they were anti-foreigners, they were also very anti-Christian because Christianity was the religion that the foreigners had brought in. So this Boxer Rebellion breaks out in China, and in about the year 1900, uh, the Boxers come to the place, the village where Blind Cheng has just been. Because Blind Cheng has been there, there's, there's, there's also Christians there now. And the Boxers round up 50 or so Christians that they can find. And they're about to kill them, until one local says, No, you fools. You're a fool to kill all these people. For every one of them that you kill... Ten more will spring up while that man, Blind Cheng, lives. Kill him and you will crush this foreign religion. So the boxers promise to release these 50 Christians if Blind Cheng comes to them. This news gets to Blind Cheng, who's not that far away, and he says simply, I will gladly die for them. Take me. He's handed over to the boxers. They release the 50 others, they put Blind Cheng in an open cart, they drag it to the cemetery, and then with one flash of the sword, he's killed. The boxers thought that by killing this great Christian leader, Christianity itself will die out. You kill the leader, the movement dies. It seems that King Herod and the Jewish leaders... In the passage we just read, they had a similar idea. Uh, At church, we're going through a series in Acts. We're calling it Witnesses because it's about what the early Christians did, being witnesses across the land. And um, each week, though, we're seeing a threat that emerges, threats that might stop this whole Jesus movement before it even really begins. And that's where we're at here in Acts chapter 12. There's a new threat that emerges. The threat, however, isn't persecution. This is not the first time that Christians have been persecuted. That's been going on since chapter 4 and we're in chapter 12 now. In fact, the persecution really hit a high note in chapter 7 where a guy called Stephen became the first Christian martyr. But there's a new threat here in chapter 12. The new threat is that Herod isn't killing just any Christians, but he's particularly targeting the Christian leaders. Now, the Herod here is not the same Herod who was alive when Jesus was born. You might have heard the story of Jesus being born and King Herod not liking the idea of another king being around. That guy was called Herod the Great. The Herod we've got here is his grandson. He's called Herod Agrippa, or sometimes just King Herod. Not the same person, but this guy, the grandson we see in Acts 12, he seems to have inherited the mean streak that his grandfather had. And so he starts killing off these Christian leaders. Look again at verse 1 with me. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Uh, when Jesus was on earth, he had 12 close disciples. But even within that 12, he had three that were like his inner circle, if you will. James was one of those three. and So no doubt here, in the early days of the church, he has become a prominent leader. That is until Herod has him executed. Why is Herod doing this? Well, it's all to do with approval ratings. So again, look at verse three. Uh, Herod's put James to death with the sword, and when he saw that this met with the approval, with, with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. Uh, the Jewish leaders, they clearly didn't like this new sect of Christians. So when the Christian leaders are being killed, they give Herod their big tick of approval. Because again, you kill off the leaders and you kill the movement too. So this is helping Herod's approval ratings. The, the, the Jewish leaders are liking this. And what we're seeing here is a kind of, it's like an ancient day version of cancel culture, isn't it? Uh, you don't like this thing, you want to get it cancelled. But their weapon isn't like a scathing social media posts aimed at destroying someone's reputation. The weapon of these Jewish leaders is their approval, their approval of Herod and his executioner's sword aimed at the necks of the church leaders. And so Peter's arrested too, and really there seems no way out for Peter here. Look at how verse 4 describes his situation. After After arresting Peter, Herod put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. This is, this is heavily guarded. Right? This is like the ancient day version of being sent to Alcatraz prison. You've heard of Alcatraz, right? It's the um, prison on an island just off San Francisco. It had a reputation of being a place that's quite nasty to be in, but particularly of a place that no one could escape from. Because even if you made it outside the walls of the prison, well, you have to get off the island through the water which is deathly cold and there's strong currents in there that will drag you out to sea and it's also known to be a place where sharks live. So it's supposed to be inescapable and of course when they went and made a Hollywood movie about it with Clint Eastwood who kind of gets out but you're not really sure, did he really get out? Who knows? Um, sorry, spoiler alert. Um, that's what it's like for Peter here in Acts chapter 12. Herod has made it inescapable for him, right? He's, he's imprisoned Heavily guarded in, in verse 6, you see he's uh, bound in chains as well. So if you're Peter, you've got to be thinking to yourself, look, this is the end. Well, there's no hope for me now. This is it. How's the church respond to what's going on? One of their key leaders has just died. Another one looks like he's on the way. What do you do? Look What they do in verse 5? So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Their response, the only thing they think they can do, the only thing they can do, is pray. Put yourself in their shoes for a moment. You must feel pretty helpless, right? Like, imagine this was us. One day you wake up and you hear the news Um, Paul Harrington has been arrested. Paul is the senior pastor across the 11 Trinity churches in Adelaide. Imagine you hear this news. Paul has been arrested for being a Christian. They have found him guilty, and so they've given him a life sentence, no chance for parole, locked up in a prison somewhere. Who knows where he is now? It's pretty bad. But then the next day you wake up, and you hear they've just arrested Stephen George from Trinity Church, Modbury. He's now in prison and facing the same thing that Paul did. How would you be feeling at that moment? I thought, for me, it's two things. I'm feeling, firstly, scared. Secondly, I'm feeling pretty helpless. What can I do? What what, what could we do if that were to happen? It's not right, but, but there's nothing we can do about it. Of course, there is something we can do, we can pray. You see, no matter how bad a situation gets, God can always be turned to. Have you seen the movie The Castle? Who's seen The Castle here? Great movie. It's often voted the best Australian movie of all time. It's excellent on so many levels. If you haven't seen it, go out of your way to catch it one day. It follows the, the story of this, this family here, the Kerrigan's. They live um, right next to the airport runway, and most of us think that would be horrible, but they love it, think it's excellent. Um, But when the airport then wants to expand, they attempt to have the Kerrigans kicked out of their house so they can have the land. But Daryl, who's the dad in this family, he decides, no, I'm going to take them on. So he goes to hire the one lawyer that he knows, this guy, Dennis DeNudo. Now, Dennis is not the greatest lawyer in the world. That's an understatement. Dennis is used to small town stuff. He can't really take on the might of a big law firm like the airport's got with them. He give, I mean, he gives it his best shot. He doesn't really want to, but the dad convinces him. He gives it his best shot. He argues that all that's happening goes against the Constitution, goes against Marbo, goes against the vibe of it all. But really, he doesn't know what he's doing in court, and so they lose. And just like when it seems everything is lost, Mr. Hemel steps in, this guy. He's a retired lawyer, a big-time lawyer. Um, He he met Daryl in court one day, and Mr. Hamill decides to come out of retirement to help Daryl and his family and their neighbours. And of course, they go off to the high court, and they have a fantastic victory, all because this time they have Mr. Hamill on their side. Great story, very funny. Uh, If you haven't seen it yet, go and check it out. Maybe if you have seen it, go watch it again. Um, I was thinking this week, sometimes when I pray it feels like I'm asking Dennis DeNuto to be my lawyer. It might, ni- might be nice to have someone to talk to. It might be nice to have someone on my side, right? But really, what can he do? When he comes up against the might of someone like King Herod here, what can a Dennis DeNuto do? That's what it feels like sometimes when I'm praying. But the reality is, when I pray, it's more like asking Mr. Hamill to be my lawyer. He can actually do something, right? In fact, it's more than that, isn't it? When I pray, I'm approaching God Almighty. And who can stand against him? This is a big point we've been coming to the whole time here. The big point of the passage. No human opposition can stop God's word from spreading. No human opposition can stop God's word from spreading. So there's Peter, right, locked up in prison, chained, guarded, sentries on duty. This is inescapable, right? This is the Alcatraz of the ancient world. But then an angel shows up. He wakes Peter, the chains fall off Peter's wrists, tells him, Get get your shoes on, get your coat on, it's time to go, and off they walk. Past the guards that he's been chained to, past the sentry guards who've been on duty out through the iron gates and into the streets and into freedom. I love how verse 9 puts it. Peter followed the angel out of prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. Um, Most nights just before I go to bed, I uh, wake up my daughter, Eva. I wake her up. She's been asleep for a couple of hours by this point. I wake her up and I take her to the toilet. And most of the time, she's kind of not really with it. She's a bit out of it. And so she says some really funny stuff. Like the other night, I pick her up and she says, Daddy, I love dinosaurs. <laughs> I thought, okay, let me go. Let, let me ask her. What do you love about dinosaurs, Eva? Oh, they've got so many bones. <laughs> go figure. Another night, we, 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 get, we get into the bathroom um, and she looks around and she says to me, Daddy, it's like a jungle in here. I promise you, there's no mold growing on the walls. There's, there's nothing like that. It's, she's just not with it. That's kind of like Peter here. He's not with it at all until the angel leaves. And then look at verse 11. Peter came to himself and he said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me. Peter here sees the hand of God at work because no human opposition will stop God's word from spreading. So Peter goes to the place where he knows some other Christians are and it kind of leads to a funny moment because he gets there, he knocks on the door... The girl who answers the door, she's so surprised and excited that she doesn't open the door. She turns and runs back and tells all the others in the house, Peter's here, but of course they don't believe her, do they? And so they all start arguing about who is at the door. Meanwhile, no one bothers to go to the door to check, and poor old Peter's left on the outside. It kind of reads like a Monty Python sketch, nearly. But did you notice amidst that something is really quite out of place? What was the group praying for back in verse 5? They They're praying for Peter. No doubt praying for his release, for his well-being. And yet here, when God comes through and answers their prayer, what's their response? Disbelief. It can't be. No way. Now, I don't want to stand here and waggle my finger and say, silly, silly disciples, silly, silly people. Because if I was this, it probably would have been me too. Have you done this in your life where you pray to God for something And when he comes through, you can't quite believe it because you actually never expected God to come through for you. We we think we've got a God like Dennis DeNuto, someone who's basically ineffective at doing anything. The truth is, that's not God at all. Praying to God is the most powerful thing we can do ever because God is the one who is powerful at all times even in those moments where he doesn't answer our prayers, that's not because he's weak and ineffective. He is the God of all power. He is God Almighty. Friends, let me ask you, is that the God that you know too? Is that the God that you pray to? And back in Acts, we see just how true it is that no human opposition can stop the word of God from spreading. Because he, remember at the start of the chapter, we got this guy Herod who posed this great threat. And yet by the end of the chapter, Herod is a threat no more. Uh, you catch a bit more about Herod's character in verse 19. So uh, verse 19, after Herod had a thorough search made for him, made for Peter, and did not find him... He cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Herod is not a nice fella here. That's what we kind of see here. Uh, And then he travels, though, then from a a place uh, in Jerusalem where he's been up to uh, a place called Caesarea. This is the Roman capital of the region. Uh, uh, Herod's got a meeting to go to. And this is probably happening at the same time as some sort of sporting event or festival. Uh, And we'll take a look at what happens. On the appointed day, that is the appointed day for the meeting, on the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of a God, not of a man. Um, Luke is not the only person from the ancient world to write about this event. Uh, Josephus, who's a great. Uh, Ancient historian of, of Jewish history, he would have been writing around the same time as Luke, just a little bit after. But he also recorded what happened to Herod here. And check out how Josephus put it: On the second day of these shows, he that he's talking about Herod, he put on a garment made wholly of silver, and of a texture, truly wonderful, and came into the theatre in the morning. At which time the silver of his garment being illuminated by the fresh reflection of the sun's rays upon it, shone out in a surprising manner and was so resplendent as to spread a horror over those that looked intently upon him. And presently his flatterers cried out, one from one place and another from another, though not for his good, that he was a god. Upon this the king did neither rebuke them, nor reject their impious flattery. Luke also records for us how Herod soaked up the adulation of the crowds. And so Luke goes on to say in verse 23, Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. I don't think this is here in the Bible so we sit and we celebrate the death of Herod. But this is here to show us just how the tables have turned. Herod is this great threat to the early church, rounding up Christians, killing off their leaders. But in the end, his plans are so easily thwarted, right? Peter escapes, and all the might of Herod's men cannot find him. They cannot bring him back. In the end, Peter does not die, but Herod does. The the point is very clear, isn't it? No human opposition can stop the word of God from spreading. That's the outcome to the the, the conclusion of it all. Verse 24, But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. It cannot be stopped. Even if Peter had been killed, not even that would have worked. Uh, Blind Cheng Back to the start, Blind Cheng was killed in China. Did that work? Of course it not. Now in China there are more Christians in that one country than just about any other place in the whole world. No human opposition can stop the spread of God's word. So then, what does this mean for us today? What does it mean for being witnesses today? Uh, if you're here and you are someone who follows Jesus, I have a question for you. Have you ever felt like you did want to be Jesus' witness? Uh, you want to go out in the world, you want to tell other people about him, but you've just felt at the mercy of so many other forces around you? Like like particularly the the, the cultural forces that you feel like are against you? Like maybe 20 or 30 years ago, People were, were a bit more okay to talk about Jesus, but these days it's like a no-go zone. It's just something you cannot bring up. It's the kind of thing that you're not allowed to talk about, and if you do bring it up in your social group, well, you'll be shut down quickly or laughed at or something like that. I mean, and why not? Like um, Most of the popular media doesn't really have much time for Christianity anymore today. So you've got this idea to talk about Jesus, but it just feels like things are against you. That that it's, in some ways it's not safe to do it because you'll 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 lose relationships. You'll you'll lose all that social capital with your workmates that you've just spent year after year trying to build up so they take you seriously. Perhaps it's just wiser to keep it to yourself, and maybe in the future there'll be a time to share. Always in the future, always next time. Have you ever felt like Have you ever felt like that? I know I have this part of the Bible shows us really clearly, doesn't it? Human opposition cannot stop God's word from spreading. And when you think about who God is, of course it can't. Of course it can't. We believe in a God who's far more powerful than Herod, far more powerful than any other cultural movement or norm from today, right? God has the power that can overcome any stubborn heart. After all, That's exactly what he did to me. He overcame my own stubborn heart. When it feels like things are against us, we need to hear this. No human opposition can stop the word of God from spreading. So, let me get really practical for a moment then. We're three weeks into our series in Acts, and each week um, uh, I'm I'm saying I want to give us something we can do, something that's simple all of us can do, to help us be Jesus' witnesses. All right? So two weeks ago I said, know your story. Know the story of how you became a follower of Jesus, what convinced you. Know your story so that you're ready to tell your story. At last week I said, be ready to invite someone along to church. Uh, we don't all have to have all the answers to everything, but we can all be ready to invite someone along here. An easy thing. Simple. Here's the thing I want to say for This week. Be ready to read the Bible with someone. Be ready to read the Bible with someone who's not already a follower of Jesus. Be ready to invite them to read the Bible with you. Because remember, what is it that spreads and flourishes? It's the Word of God. It's the Bible. That's what we want people to encounter. Now, as I say that, I reckon a lot of us are thinking, but he said there were supposed to be simple things that all of us can do. I could never do that. That's a bridge too far. There's no way you could get me to be that person. Can I suggest to you, I reckon you can do it. I reckon anyone can do it. And here's why I'm so confident. Because there's this little resource called Word One to One. And it just makes this so simple and easy. There's uh, what it looks like. It's a copy of... Really, it's just John's Gospel put in little booklets. There's some notes to help you make sense of it along the way. It's just so easy to use. It's become my go-to thing now. But it's not just for me. It's used all across the world. I've heard stories of business tycoons who will use this with their business friends and business contacts. But I've heard stories of um, the, the uh, little old lady who... She um, hasn't been educated much in her life. and She lives in a housing commission block in Europe. And she uses it to speak to the others who live in the housing commission blocks with her. You don't need to be a genius to use this. Anyone can do it. And I'd like you to be able to use it too. It's really simple. I'd love you to be able to use it. So we're going to run a training day. Um, well, it's just a training morning. Saturday, 30th of November... Just the morning, 9.30 till midday, be at my house. Just take one morning and here's a tool that you'll have with you for the rest of your life. There's an RSVP down there that probably some of you can't see because the speaker's in the way. It's just my email address. Um, Come along. Get yourself ready to use this. Because friends, God is powerful. His word is powerful. And no human opposition will stop his word from spreading, even here in Adelaide. So I want to say to us today, let us, let, let's be those who are ready to help others engage with God's word. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your word to us about Jesus. We know that it is powerful and will never stop spreading and flourishing. We pray that that would be true in Adelaide, as it is everywhere. Please help us be those who are ready to invite others to read the Bible with us, to meet Jesus there. We pray that the word of God would spread and flourish in their lives too. We ask for your help in this in Jesus' name. Amen.